God's doing in us and, and really why we're doing small groups in the first place. And then, like Randall said, immediately after service, I'm gonna, we're going to show a video later, and that video is going to highlight uh, the majority of our small group leaders, uh, and then you'll have a chance to sign up for those. There are some we've added since the video was made because I looked at it and realized, my gosh, we had a bunch of people here last week, which meant that we did not have enough groups, and so we tried to add a couple of groups last minute to uh, kind of fill in that need, and so they won't be a part of the video, but I will try to remember uh, to name those groups later before uh, we um, get too far into it. That way you can at least know who they are and all that kind of stuff. So with that, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. While you're doing that, if you don't mind, take your offering baskets. I think they made it down to the right. If you don't mind taking those back down and fill it, just send them back down from the way they came. If you fill out a connect card, this will be the time to stick that card into the basket along with your tithes and offerings if you have those this morning. Now, if you're new to Vintage, you may not know, and if you've been here for a while, you still may not know, but our name is Vintage 242. And Vintage 242 is defined this way. Vintage is something old of great value today, right? That's why you have vintage cars, right? We have vintage wine, right? We have vintage jeans for those of you. Just those of you just like old stuff, and it's like it's just awesome today, right? Something old and of great value today. Well, Acts chapter 2 has verse 42. Acts 2.42 is, a, is, an, is a, a picture of the early church and how they functioned, and so Acts 2.42 is vintage, something old of great value. Acts 2.42, an old picture that of great value for us today as the body of Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to read Acts chapter 2, verse 42, down to verse 47 and get a snapshot of how the early church was functioning. It says this, They, talking about you, the body of Christ, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Miracles were happening every day, right? All the believers, all the believers were filled, were, excuse me, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, this is what we're talking about for Vintage 242. Back in January, and I was in prayer, and God just began to lay the, this reality on us of being Acts 242 just speaking this into me about, Steve, this is what I've called you to do. This is what you're moving towards. And we've barely begun to, to tap into the reality of what this is. I said to you several weeks ago that if you really embrace Acts 2.42 through 2.47 as the reality of what the church is supposed to be, then we look nothing like it. And 99.9% .9 of the church of America looks nothing like the church is supposed to look. 
Now, you can go to China where they're on the underground and it's really dangerous for them to actually call themselves Christians. And the millions of them, millions of them who are actually growing every day are living this reality out and fleshing out and living out the reality of Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And I felt like what the word for, for us at Vintage was, listen, nobody's doing this, especially in America. And I want you to begin to pray into how you can begin to flesh this out. Because this is what I believe God is, I would say this, what I believe God is doing in this season, in this day and age, if I could say over the next 10 to 15, 20 years, is that we will see a something, God's going to begin moving in the body of Christ to bring us back to this reality. And so in that, and there's a lot of stuff going with that, but I believe God is calling us back to that. And I think that one of the things God is saying to us is, I want you to begin to really pray into this. And into the reality of this, because it's who I'm calling you to be as the church and as the body of Christ. Now, back in November, I took some time away in two days and was just spent time in worship and prayer for two days straight. And, and in that season, what I felt like God was saying is, hey, I've called you to really engage Matthew 28, the very end of it. You know what? Remember what it says? It says, go make disciples of all nations. Do you remember that? That's, in the, that's that one of the last calls of God, that charge that he makes to us is, Go and make disciples of all nations. Go make disciples. And what I realized was this, is that Vintage has a great problem. We're growing at a very rapid clip. In fact, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I'm like, my goodness, it overwhelms me of how fast that we're growing. I didn't expect this. We're, we're not doing things the way that other, you know, in church planting 101, we're not doing what we're supposed to do. We haven't spent thousands of dollars on mass mail-outs to, at Easter and Christmas because that's when you're supposed to go to church, right? And we're, and we're not doing all this stuff in here to make sure that everyone feels really comfortable and doing everything in perfection. Perfection, right? We have we have stuff going on. Even this morning, I tried to download a video clip, and it just wasn't working, right? It was just this whole thing. Like people talk about excellence, and like we just don't do things with excellence. We do things as best we can, right? But I mean, things just mess up all the time, right? Just like in real life, you know. And so that's who we are, and we're just as people and trying to figure things out. But we're growing. And as we met a couple of Thursdays ago here, what I realized was that God was. Speaking, I told Danny, Danny Wanell yesterday, I said, what I realized on our Thursday night as we told the stories of God moving at Vintage was that God was doing something without us really even knowing it. He's moving and doing something here, this, this word authentic. Have you, have you said that word or heard someone say that word about Vintage? Authentic and real and their family and they just really care for one another, right? And God was doing this whole thing and and I wish that I could sit up here and tell you stories. One story I can tell you is this, Darren Glodjo. He got a job. I mean, for those of you who know, I mean, Darren's been a part of Vintage from day one. From day one, he was coming saying, please pray for me. I don't have a job. And so a couple, about, about a month ago, we sat down and said, listen, guys, it's, it's ungodly for you, for us, to allow our people to go and not get work. It's just ungodly. We need to work our tails off for our family members to make sure they get a job. And we get a phone call a day later, and 
Darren goes for an interview, and then he entered this guy. He goes, listen, you're not going to pay me enough to work here. I need more for my family. And the guy comes back and says, I'll pay you even more then. I mean, it's just, and we're sitting here praying and believing God. And, and Darren sent an email out. And I said, hey, do you mind if I tell everybody you got a job? And I said, the P.S. at the end, and can you bring 200 chicken biscuits on Sunday, right? I mean, it's just fantastic. He didn't bring them. I don't know what's going on with that, right? But he, he has a job. He's working at Bojangles. And he's, oh, it's incredible. He's, he's really excited, and his boss is really excited. It's just a God thing. But we came and we laid hands on him and other people in this room and said, bring him a job. And so what I would say is this, we're still believing for that. And if you don't have a job yet, then connect and let's get you one too. But we've got, so we're a family. We're owning people's issues. We're coming alongside. And so when we talked about this in November, I was praying saying, God's saying, just, it's time for discipleship. What I, what I realized was that God was doing this. It's, it's, when we come together as a whole in this kind of a formal setting, it's hard to connect, right? It's hard to really get to know one another. I got overwhelmed last week because I wanted to talk to every single one of you, right? I wanted to hang out. And it's like, this is overwhelming. I can't hang out with all of you today, right? But I wanted to, but I realized in this formal setting, it's hard for people to connect. It's hard to be discipled. Now, the word discipled simply means this, to become to in someone to invest into somebody else for the purpose of becoming like this person who's investing into Right. So this person, I'm investing into Todd right here for the purpose of him becoming like me. Right. I'm investing. He's following me to become like me. And in, in, in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the Gospels, what do you see? You see these 12 guys along with a bunch of women and a bunch of other people. They're following Jesus. They're his disciples. And the whole idea was that as Jesus invested into them, they would in turn become like Jesus. They would look like him. They would sound like him. They would act like him. They would think like him because they've spent time with him. And then Jesus looked at, the, looked at this group that was following and said, Listen, I want you to go and do what I did. I want you to invest into other people, and I want them to become like you as you become like me. Paul said to his followers, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Basically saying, I spend time with Jesus, you spend time with me, and as you spend time with me, as I spend time with Jesus, you will become like Jesus. And so the idea was simply this. It's time for us to go to a different level of discipleship. And one of the ways that we want to make that happen are through these small group settings. Now, small group is simply this. We take this formal group of like 200 and something people, and we break you down into these smaller groups of 10 to 15 to 20, depending on who, how many people in your group. And you then, in a more informal setting, you engage and do life with one another. That's the idea. You're doing life with one another. You are in relationship with one another. Listen, I've talked to a bunch of you, and I know why you're here. Steve, I just want to be a part of family. I want Friends. I want to connect with people. I want people to come alongside of me that will do life with me and I can do life with them. And in turn, I hope I become more like Jesus in the process. That's what we're talking about for small groups. We're leaving the formal setting. We're leaving the formal setting, going to a more informal setting of doing life together so that you can engage relationship so you can receive because that's what it's about, and so that you can give. 
so that you can receive and so that you can give. When we look at Acts 4, uh, 2, 4, 40, excuse me, 2, 4, 44, it says they left the place where they were, investing in one another on a much smaller scale, in a very real way. We're leaving this larger place and going in. And Acts 42, 46 says every day, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They broke down, went into homes in a more informal setting, and just did life together. It is imperative that you are doing life with other Christians, believers, those who love Jesus if as much, if not more than you, so will encourage you and grow you into Christ-likeness. That's the picture here. And in Psalm chapter 68, 4 and 6, we see the heart of God for this. He says this, that he is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. It says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing. I love this picture. It says he is, a, he is a father to the fatherless, and he sets the lonely in families. That's what we're doing when we talk about doing small groups. There are those who would walk in here, and they're lonely. People were the size that we're at now, unfortunately. People can walk in, not talk to a single person, and then leave. But the idea of, of our small groups is that we can get every single person who walks in this door and get them in small, involved in a smaller family setting of people who are coming alongside of them, speaking to their life, praying for them, encouraging them, and doing life with them so they will become more like Jesus. In my mind, this is the nature of small groups, setting people, setting people in families so they can care for one another and be taken care of as you are challenged to grow into Christ's likeness. It's about sharing life. It's about a place of mutual investment. I invest into you, you invest into me, where we then have mutual return. As I invest into you and you receive, you invest into me and I receive from you. We have to be a people who are doing relationship together. Acts 2.42 through 2.47 which is who we're supposed to be, begins to paint this picture for us. What I would say for you is I want you to go and read this this week. Acts chapter 2, 42 through verse 47. I want you to process it. I want you to pray into it. I want you to, to read into it the reality of what it's actually saying. Because as you read it, you find that it's overwhelming. Because as you read it, it should make you uncomfortable. It's not an idealistic view of who the church used to be that we can celebrate. It is an idealistic picture of who we are called to be today. And as suburban Americans, it is seemingly counterintuitive for us to live the way that God has called the church to live here in Acts 2. But it's who we are called to be, and I believe that launching into small groups is just the beginning for us of what this can look like. Now, what I want to do to, I want to take us to the next step. 
are small groups, and you're, you're gonna, as you get into small groups, you'll learn all about them, how they function. Each small group would be different. But what I want to do here is I want to do kind of an overarching view taken from Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, through chapter 6, verse 5. Because what we see here is Paul speaking to the body, speaking to the church, speaking to people just like you and people just like me. And what he's doing is he's painting this picture for us of what it's supposed to look like for us to be doing life with one another. And as we read it, it's probably going to be, again, a little overwhelming because we don't do many of these things well. And as we read it, what I want you to hear me say is that when we get into our small groups, this is what we are hoping to do. This is what we're hoping to flesh out in the context of our small groups. Because let me say this, as our small groups flourish, something will shift in this time here. As you begin to do life with one another and invest into one another and become more Christ-like in the context of doing life in small groups, it will shift the dynamic and the culture of who we are in this larger setting. So Galatians chapter 5 it's in the, about book number 8 in the New Testament. Go to Matthew and then go to the right. Starting in verse 25, you can read along if you want to. It says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you else, excuse me, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, if you've read through Galatians, you know in chapter 5 what Paul is doing is he's, he's painting a picture for us of what a life looks like that's filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. Those who are in relationship with Jesus, who are walking in obedience to Jesus, and who are allowing Jesus to be Jesus in them so the Spirit of God is flowing in them and through them. And he paints this beautiful picture of this life empowered by the Spirit of God. And then he paints a picture for us and says, now this is a snapshot of what should, being what should be being expressed and experienced in your life. What the, the fruit of His Spirit moving in your life should be this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's this beautiful picture for us of Him expressing the fruit that should be being expressed in your life. And so the idea is this. He's saying, now listen, if you're asking yourself, okay, how do I know I'm empowered by the Spirit of God? How do I know I'm really living to the, the level that I can live in Jesus? What will it look like? Well, He says, well, the fruit the fruit of His presence in your life, right? The fruit. He's invested and it just comes out of your life. You will be expressing love everywhere that you go. And you'll be expressing deep joy. Be in you and flowing out of you 
wherever you go. And patience, man, this be brimming over in your life. It'll be fantastic. Everywhere you go, you'll be living in patience. And you'll be kind in all that you're doing. This is the fruit of those who are empowered by the Spirit. And it's this beautiful way of saying, okay, this to me is a snapshot that I can, in a sense, compare my life to to see, okay, am I living out and fleshing out what I'm supposed to be doing, what my life can be experiencing with the fruit of His presence? So he names all this stuff, and then he comes down. He says, now, now that you are empowered by the Spirit, here's a picture of how you should be expressing these, these, fruit, these fruits in the lives of the relationships that you're in with other people. Basically, when you step into the body of Christ with other believers, your brothers and sisters, here is how this will be being expressed in the lives of those that you're around Every day. And so he, he does that. Since we live by the Spirit, let us not keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and being each other. And then he goes in saying, This is what your relationship should look like with one another. So, what we're going to do is we're going to name about five different things that are expressed here that I'm hoping will be, be being expressed in our small groups when they launch in March. The first one is this equality in the body. There's equality in the body. Verse 26 says, Don't be conceited. Don't provoke one another or envy one another. Now, this is painting the picture of equality in the body of Christ. The idea that as we relate to one another, no matter who we are, our socioeconomic or educational background, no matter how long we've been a Christian or not, or where we come from, then in the eyes of God, we can't be conceited. Conceit basically is I am better than someone else. Or someone else looking at someone else and saying, wow, they're better than me. Or provoking or envying. This is all about competition, isn't it? Provoking one another. Hey, you're not as great as I am. I healed four people yesterday. How many did you heal yesterday, right? How many did you lead to Christ yesterday? I led three. How many did you lead to Christ, right? All this stuff. I spent four hours in prayer yesterday. How about you? Totally beat you in that one, right? Provoking one another. This whole envying piece of who we are in life. This conceit of like, I'm such a better Christian. Such a better person than that person. And what Paul is saying here in verse 26 is, listen, when you're expressing the fruit and when you're living life with one another, man, you, you are equal in the eyes of God. You are equal in the eyes of God. Now, all of us are, same, are the same. As it relates to our worth and our identity. You see, when we talk about our worth, usually in the eyes of the world, we talk about um, who we are in life, what we've accomplished, how much money that we make. And so that's why whenever we talk to somebody, one of the first things we ask them is, hey, so what do you do for a living? Because we want to judge who they are. But according to Scripture, our worth is determined by one thing, by our identity as children of God. Our worth is defined by our identity as children of God. And so when, when God looks down at every single one of us who are in relationship with him, he says, oh, you are all equal. How can you say that, God? Because you're all my children. Listen, I love my girls, and they are equal in my eyes. I don't care if one of them is a Rhodes Scholar and the other one is not. 
when I look at them, the only way I'm going to define them is by my children. And so when we come into settings like this or in a small group setting and you walk into the room and you see people who are at different stages of life, and you're there, they are, whether they're rich or they're poor, they're educated or uneducated in the eyes of God, our worth and our identity are the same. We are children of God. And so when you step into your small group, you better treat the person next to you equally. Because if you don't, I will say this confidently, you are in sin. And you are killing that person. And you've been called to bring life and to bring them to Christ's likeness. And Christ's likeness is coming and treating them as equals to say, hey, we are all children of God. We are all equal in the eyes of God. We all have the same identity as sons and daughters of the king. You're not better than me and I'm not better than you. And as we relate to one another, we will relate inequality. Let me say this to you. You stink at doing that. Every single one of you do. Because growing up in our culture, we don't live that way. When you walk into a restaurant, you look around and you immediately put yourself on the scale of better than or less than. You walk into a country club and you feel uncomfortable because you either think that you're less than or you're completely comfortable because you think you're better than. Those who are uneducated, I've heard people here at Vintage, well, I haven't been to college. Who cares? Because in the eyes of God, you have worth and you have value because of who you are as a son and daughter of the king. And as you step into your small group, you better function that way or else I will get you. Number two, (laughs) it's a place for openness. It's a place for openness. Verse 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Listen, secrets in our lives are a breeding ground for brokenness and sin. And as human beings, when we get to a place where we have to be vulnerable and exposed We run. We hide. When bad things start happening and difficult times come, what do you naturally do? You naturally draw into yourself and try to figure it out yourself. And it becomes a breeding ground for brokenness and sin. Listen, great movie, Gladiator. You've all seen Gladiator. At least all the guys have, right? There's that scene the very first time all of this group of guys are thrown into into the lion's den, right? They're the gladiator into the ring. And all of a sudden you see Maximus, and what does he do? His leadership skills, they click, and he says, Everybody, stay together. Stay together. This scene always stands out to me because he says, Stay together. Link arms together. And they link arms together, and they go back to back, and they begin to make their way out, and they put their shield because as they walk out as one, it's difficult to attack them because the shield's all the way around. And that one, remember that one weird guy? He's like, ah! And he comes running off by himself. And all of a sudden, boom, and he's just killed right there on the spot. And they pick him off one by one. And as we live lives of hiddenness, in the midst of our brokenness, when we hide from people because we don't want to be naked and vulnerable in front of them, the enemy laughs and says, I've got you. Because I can pick you off when you're by yourself. And the picture is this. The only way 
that you can know that I'm caught in a sin is that you're close enough to me to know when I'm about to fall. Do you see the kind of the reading between the lines there? The only way you can know I'm about to fall into sin is because you're there near me, and you know me, and you know what's going on in my life. This is the humility factor, right? This place for openness. That we come into the small Christian should be a safe place for me to share what's going on in my life. And listen, I am not an idiot, and I'm not clueless. I know all of you have been in places where you try to trust somebody, and you have got pooped on. I would say other words, but I see kids around, right? You have, and you know what I mean. You walk in, so you, you say something, and somebody then goes and says, well, did you hear about so-and-so? And all of a sudden, boom, your openness gets slimed, and now you can I don't know who I can trust anymore. When you walk into your small group and someone shares, it stays in the house. Keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody else. You keep it there because there has to be a place of openness so that person has the vulnerability to share. So when they share and they're open and you can follow them and help them and come alongside and do life so they don't fall back into the hole. There has to be a place for openness. Number three, it's a place for humility. At the end of verse one, place of humility. At the end of verse one, Paul tells everyone, to watch themselves or else they may be tempted also and fall into the very sin they are helping someone else escape from. Paul is a realist and highly practical. He's not some uber-spiritual person saying, you're never going to sin again. He's like, no, you are completely human. And if you go to help this person who's falling into the hole, and you're like, oh, that's a pretty cool hole over there. You're looking over here, and all of a sudden, boom, and you're down there with them. You're like, oh, my gosh, how did I get here? And Paul is saying, listen, it's a place for humility because they may come and be vulnerable and share, but guess what? You're one step away from falling in yourself, no matter how spiritual you are. Scripture says, oh, Adam, look from what heights you have fallen. Adam literally every day would walk with God. For hours. He would talk to him face to face. They, who knows? They may have even linked arms because they were that close. Father and son, right? And all of a sudden, Adam just goes, oh, and he falls into sin. The humility of this is when we step into our small groups and there's a hole over here. Paul says, listen, you're all just one step away. So you better be gracious and compassionate with this person who is wrestling, who is struggling, because believe it or not, you were one step from falling yourself. And that should make you desperate for needing God. That should make you desperate for helping them because you have compassion because they're, you're one step away from being where they are. Oh, God, keep me humble to know that I am equal and no better than anyone else. But I am awesome because I'm a son and I'm a daughter of the king. Number four, we have to be responsible for each other. Responsible for each other. Verse two says, very simply, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's weight. Now, have you ever in your life had something going on in your life that was just so overwhelming that you said, I wish somebody could help me carry this. 
This is just too much. If you ever cried out to God or cried out to somebody or just you don't even believe in God, you just cried out to the, cried out to the sky. This is too much. And Paul goes, yeah, I know. That's why you have to be in relationship with other people because they are supposed to help you carry the weight that is too much for you to carry yourself. This is the picture. You see, do you see how the enemy twists? Listen to this real quick. I want you to just get a snapshot so you can recognize it. The enemy's favorite thing to do is to pull you out of the group with Maximus so he can just pick you off as you're running by yourself. He loves to do it. It's one of his favorite games. Hey, it's pick-off Christian day. Boom! Because I'm going to make them not want to be around people. It's, they, they think it's just their natural instinct to pull away from people when they're struggling. No, no. The biblical concept is, man, bear one another's burdens. Make sure you're sharing it so someone can come along. Listen, even this week, there's this kid in our neighborhood who got lost, and his mom was driving around freaking out, and she's crying. You know what I did? I said, I'm so sorry. Let me pray for you. Prayed for and then walked inside. And I didn't do that. I hopped in my foreigner and said, I'll find your son. And as I got in my car, I recognized there were like three other cars in my neighbors, and they're all driving doing the exact same thing, right? And I found him, right? I got to be a hero, right? I'm like, this is awesome, right? I pulled up and said, hey, here's your son, all right? I prayed and believed Jesus and found him. No, I didn't do that. But seriously, I'm like, this is awesome. I got to come alongside of my neighbors, and I pull up. He's like, man, I can't believe y'all did this. And I said, hey, we're not great friends, but we know each other, and so that makes us family here. I will care for your son. It was awesome. And the body of Christ, we have to do the same. Our small groups are supposed to be that. Small group leaders, they will be, they will be cultivating this. Small group leaders cultivate this. Cultivate this bearing one another's burdens. Listen, if, if real practical, someone in your group that week is struggling. Guess who the first call is the next day? That person. How are you? What can I do for you? What's going on? I would like love to help. Love to help. Be responsible. Care when there's burdens. We pray for one another. That's what you'll be doing. But here's the other thing. This is the part that's going to, that's, um, that's overwhelming. You read earlier from Acts chapter 2, and it said they sold all that they had, all their property, all of their possessions that was of great value so that they could help the person that was in their family. We don't like that verse. We would love to cut that verse out of Acts chapter 2. We hate it. Because it makes us ask questions about all that we own. It's uncomfortable. Like the silence. It's uncomfortable. What I want to tell you is this. In your family, and your small group, we've been at Vintage, we're helping people all the time. But in your small group, you need to wrestle with this, with this verse. You need to wrestle with what does it really mean to bear one another's burdens, to carry it alongside of them. James, James says this, and just read it because I didn't put it up here on the screen, but just, just listen to this as I read it. James speaking, he says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes, they're without food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And later on, he says, it is worthless. 
we need to carry one another's burdens. In the body, in the early church, the most profound thing that was a damning piece of evidence to the rulers of the day that this Christian sect, this G, these Jesus followers, were profound and doing something profound, in their writings between leaders, they would actually say, I don't know what's going on, but this group of Christians are helping our poor, and we don't know what to do with it coming alongside and helping one another. It defined who they were as the early church. Let me tell you something clearly. If you don't like Acts chapter 2, 42-47, then leave vintage. Because there are lots of other churches that don't care about embracing this. They may talk about it, but they don't invest into it. You can go somewhere else. Because we want to be a people who live uncomfortable with our finances of saying, God... Do I need to sell everything and give it to those that are in need? And you ask him, like we said before, you ask him once a week, do I need to go back to one car so this couple over here can have one to get their children from point A to point B? Number five, you have to do your part. You have to do your part. Verse four and five, Paul says, each one should test their own actions. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Test your own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Paul is basically telling them, listen, each of you have a job. Each of you have your own load, your own thing that God is calling you to do in the body of Christ. There's something that's specifically for you. And so he's saying, so when you do your thing, whatever your thing is, then make sure your motives are pure. You're not doing it to provoke envy or conceit. You're not going, look at me. But that you are sitting back in humility and you are taking pride in what you've done. Not a selfish, I'm awesome, but a, this, this satisfaction that what I've just done is an obedience to what God has called me to do. Do you know what I'm talking about? That moment when you go, oh my gosh, this is God calling me to do this. I'm supposed to help this person. And you go to this person and say, I just want to love on you. And you help that person, then you walk away. And it's as if God is saying to you, well done. Son, that was awesome. It was so cool how you helped that person. Remember when I, I told you, I, mo I just got you out of your chair, and I said to go, and then you got up and you did it? Yeah, it was awesome. It was awesome, son and our daughter. I'm so proud of you. We take pride in being obedient to God, just the satisfaction of knowing I've just done the thing that God has called me to do. Not so that anyone else will go, oh, my gosh, you're awesome, but that we just know, God, this was between you and me, and I'm just so thankful that I got to be obedient. I got to do my part. I got to carry my load. When you step into your small group, we have people by nature. Listen, I want everyone to hear this because this is defining some of you. You are takers. You are takers, man. You just live life as a sponge. You're never satisfied with anything, but you always want more. That's awful. That is awful. We're supposed to be givers and takers. Giving and receiving. And as we step into our small groups, you each have a role to play, and your role doesn't get to be taker. 
You get to step into a group and say, God, I, I get to receive. Because in all families, everyone gets to receive in a family. But you also have a responsibility of what your thing is, your load to carry in that family. As we step into our small groups, you have to do your part. Ask yourself every day, am I, am I, am I taking too much? Or am I not receiving enough? Hey, listen, there are, a lot of people in here, there are a lot of people in here who think they know everything. So they step into a group thinking, hey, look at me. I get to come and bring help. And God puts you in a group to humble you so that you'll receive. You do your part and you receive your part. We have to do our part and we have to receive our part. God has called us at Vintage. And the scripture is clear. You must do life with others. You must come alongside. Listen, those people that say, well, I don't need, I don't need the church. You're right. You don't need the bureaucracy, but you need the body. Because you can't do life alone. Because you will walk and the enemy will go, pew, 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 and knock you off very easily, one by one. You need other people. He wants to move us from this formal setting to informal. He wants to begin the process of us doing life together on a much smaller scale. This was his command. Now go and make disciples. Invest into one another and become Christ-like. That is his call to us. That's what we hope to do in our small groups. That's who we want to be. Now, let me see one.